The following is a message by Pastor Dale O'Shields, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer. We pray that you will be blessed by this message. Now, here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, your teaching sheets as we focus our attention on this continuing series together this Christmas season called Come Let Us Adore Him. We're talking about worship, the power of worship, the impact of worship, and of course, this is a holiday season, but the holiday, that word holiday, really goes back actually to two words, holy day, and so we're trying to come back to the recognition that Christmas really is a holy season, a season that we represents, not only just represents, but in reality presents to us the fact that Christ our Savior came from heaven to earth to redeem us, and we're learning how to worship Him, and our focus is primarily on the wise men. We've been talking about several things related to worship. We talked the first weekend about our heart of worship, that if we're going to worship God well, it all starts in the heart, that God is interested in your heart. Uh, if He can have your heart, He has everything. Last weekend, we talked about the eyes of worship, having a vision, being able to see as we need to see, because spiritual vision allows you to see and experience God in new and fresh ways, and all of us need to have our spiritual eyes opened. And I want to talk this weekend about the feet of worship, not just your physical feet, but what it means to actually walk a walk of worship with God. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 2 is our focal point of this uh, series together. Matthew chapter 2, the first 11 verses, the story of the wise men. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi or wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to talk to us, as I said today, about the feet of worship. We see something about the journey of these wise men in this story. We're going to talk about its application to our lives with four things I think will be helpful for us to remember. The first thing I want to talk to you about is to understand real worship and true worship. We must understand that real worship is always a walk of surrender. It's a walk of surrender. The word surrender can be a sort of scary word. It's a word that represents to yield the control of your life the substance of your life, the possession of your life to someone else. If you're in a, a holdup, somebody comes up behind you with a, with a gun and they say, stick your hands up, they're saying, I want you to surrender to me what you have. Give me what you possess. And so when we think of that word surrender, we often think of it in military terms of giving up in some way. And so there are negative connotations with the term, but I want to turn that around to the understanding that actually with God, surrender is a good thing. 
that surrender is all about giving up the absolute control and possession of your life to God, that you've come to the place of saying, my life does not belong to me any longer. My, my life belongs to him. I have yielded my will to God. When the wise men, back in the story that we read a moment ago, when they first saw that star in the east, and we'll talk more about them in a moment and the actual experience they had in the following of the star, but when they first saw this star, they had to make a choice. They had to choose what they were going to do. They recognized that this star was no ordinary star. It was a star of a king that had been born, the king of the Jews. In fact, we know him to be the king of all kings. And so here they see this amazing star and they realize, you know what, this is not, this is not usual. This is God talking to us. What are we going to do in response to what we've seen? We've got the vision, but now based upon the vision, what will be our action? And these men made the decision to surrender their plans and surrender their pursuit and they went after Jesus. They left everything behind and they went on a journey to find him. Can I ask you a question this morning? Have you left everything behind to follow Jesus? Has there been a point in time in your life when you said, or is there a place in your life where you've said, God, I no longer want my will or my plans for my life. I don't want to pursue what I want. I want to be completely in sync with and committed to what your will is for my life. I surrender. I give up. I throw my hands up to you, God, and say, I want what you want for my life. That is real worship. Jesus taught us this when he was working with his disciples during his earthly ministry. There was a day, and we'll read about it in a moment, Matthew chapter 4, when he was walking by the seashore of Galilee, and he sees some guys out there in their boats, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And so he's walking by, and he sees these guys, and they're commercial fishermen. They make their living by fishing for fish. They, are, they're, they buy it, they sell it. That was their livelihood for their families. And Jesus walks by, and notice what he says in Matthew 4, 19 and 20, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And notice verse 20, at once, what did they do? They left their nets and followed him. That was surrender. At that moment, they said, Jesus, we want to follow you. We're all in with you. We're not going to hold anything back. We're leaving our nets behind. We're leaving everything that represents what our life is. We're going to leave it, with, we're going to leave it behind and follow you wholeheartedly. They surrender. Jesus taught us this over and over again. Listen to what he said in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. Then he said to them all, to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self, their very own soul? Whoever is ashamed of me, Jesus said, and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, there must come a point in time. By the way, the word disciple means to be a learner, someone who's learning the ways of God. If you want to learn my ways and walk in my ways, Jesus said, you've got to lay your life down and embrace my life. Again, my question to us in this Christmas season, 2018, have you surrendered your life to God. I'm not talking about just making a profession of your faith and saying, yes, you believe in Jesus, but has there come a point in time in your life when you said, God, I no longer want to follow my will for your life. I want your will to be what I pursue. I'm surrendered to you. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, surrender can be a very scary thing. When you talk about surrendering to someone, you can be, it can cause you to feel afraid. What, what, what's going to happen? It can happen with God. 
The feeling is like, okay, God, if I give you my life, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to ask me to do? Are you going to ask me to do something that I really don't want to do? What are you going to do, God, when, when I come and give you everything? What's going to be your response to me? And oftentimes we feel that fear on the inside. But I want to remind you today that when you surrender your life to God, on the other side of surrender is always something very good. On the other side of surrender is your best and highest life. You will never achieve your best life when you're trying to live life by yourself. You can't make your best life. There are a lot of people that try to build their own lives. I'm going to build my career. I'm going to build my life. Well, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you giving attention to those kind of things, but you need to put God at the forefront of that because God can do things for you that you can never do for yourself. God, when you surrender to him, he can give you and will give you your highest and best life. You don't need to be afraid of surrender to God. Luke chapter 14, 11, Jesus said, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be what? When you humble yourself before God and surrender yourself to God, that's the pathway to exaltation. James 4, 10, humble yourselves or surrender yourselves, we might say, before the Lord. And what will he do? He will. What will he do? He will lift you up. The story of the wise men is in the Bible. That story of the wise men is in the Bible because these men made a choice to surrender themselves to God. Had they not surrendered, we would not know their story at all. But the fact that they surrendered and left behind everything to pursue Jesus and find him to worship him is is the reason we have their story in the pages of Scripture. There's a story. Listen, there's a story yet to be written for your life. An amazing story yet to be written for your life when you surrender yourself fully and completely to God. There's a destiny that God will write in history for you when you come to the place of surrendering yourself to Him. The second thing that I want to talk to you about today is that real worship is a walk of faith and obedience. It's first of all a walk of surrender. You can't really worship if you're not surrendered to God. You can't have your will and God's will at the same time. So worship involves surrender, but it also involves a walk of faith and a walk of obedience before God. Think about these wise men again. Here they are. They see this star, and they realize this is no usual star. Something unique about this star. It's the star of a king, the king of the Jews. And we, we've got to go and worship him, and we're willing to surrender and leave some things behind, and now we're going to engage in a journey. We have to follow this star, but we have to follow by faith because we're, we're not completely sure how it's going to lead us. We know that we're headed first to Jerusalem because that's where the king of the Jews should be, but we don't know exactly what the journey is going to look like, but we're going to walk with God by faith. We're going to walk with God by faith, and so they surrendered, but they also had faith. And you and I have to do the same. If you're going to worship God, there's a growth to your faith that is necessary. But to grow in faith, you have to understand what faith is. We have a lot of different ideas about what faith is. I want to bring you back to what the Bible says faith is. It's found in scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. It's defined for us very clearly. Now faith is, this is what it is, confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What is faith? It is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so real faith is all about a hope that you haven't seen realized yet. It's about having confidence or assurance related to something that you haven't seen yet. And so it's something that happens in the unseen realm. That's what faith is. And let me read this to you from the Amplified Version. I love the way the Amplified uh, gives us greater dimensions of this understanding of faith. Now, faith is the assurance or the title deed confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, 
and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as a fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Don't you like that? When I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life, the promise of God's Word was given to me. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if I will confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead, I would be saved. That's the promise of Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. And so I was shared, that promise was shared with me and I put my faith in Christ. And at that moment, I received not only the forgiveness of my sins and the new birth that happens when, to, to those who accept Christ, but I received in that moment the gift of eternal life. I have not seen heaven yet, but I already have heaven. I haven't gone there yet, but I have heaven in my heart. I know that when my last breath is taken here, I'm not worried about that because I've settled the issue. I'm already living in a heavenly reality, even though I've not stepped into heaven. Why? Because by faith, I've now received eternal life. So it is mine. I'm not waiting to get it. It is already mine. And when I die, I just step into what my faith has already laid hold of. Because there's a promise from God that I believed in, and I know that He never lies. He's given me His promise, and now that promise has become reality in my life even before I see it. This is the key to faith, that faith is not what you see. Faith is what you believe before you see. Faith is always what you believe before you see. It's you stepping into what you see by what you believe, what you believe based upon God's Word, the promise of His Word. For example, if I had a title deed to a piece of property here in my hand, and it described it was a, there was a plaid and all the details of that piece of property in my hand, and the address was there, and I called you up, and we put your name on that title deed, and I gave you that title deed to that piece of property, but you'd never seen the property, but you had the title deed, would you still own the property? You don't need to see the property to own it. You need the title to it. If I gave you a title to a brand new car, I'm not going to do that today, but if I did, okay. You got a brand new car and it's right there. Your name is on it and there's the title deed to it. You've never seen the car before, but if someone asked you, did you own the car, what would your answer be? Yes, I own it. Why? Because by faith, the word that I have says that it's mine. Well, the same is true when it comes to the Bible. When the word of God says it's yours, it's yours. It's the title deed that is there that belongs to you by faith. You may not have seen it yet, but you walk by faith, not by sight. So faith enables you to enter into the blessing of God's promises. And by the way, you can't worship without faith. You can't be a worshiper without faith. Notice Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So you and I cannot really please God without laying claim to the promise of God by faith. Let me tell you the story of a man in the Bible that you're familiar with, and we'll read something about him in just a moment that Paul the Apostle said about him. The man's name is Abraham. Abraham is often referred to as the father of our faith, the father of faith. When Abraham was 75 years of age, 75 years of age, God spoke to him and to his wife and said, I'm going to take you to a new land. And when you go to this land, you're going to walk in this new land from where you are. And he lived in Ur of the Chaldees. He's going to make this long journey to a place that was called Canaan. And so he, as he walked to this land, God says, I'm going to give that land to you and to your descendants, and you're going to be the father of a great nation. 
And in fact, Abraham, you're going to have so many kids, it'll be like the grains of sand on the seashore, you can't count them all. That's, that's the kind of multitude of people you'll have in your inheritance. Your descendants will be a massive multitude. Now, the only problem was Abraham and Sarah didn't have any children. Okay? He was 75, which you don't normally think about having kids when you're 75, and, and, and Sarah was, was older as well, and she was barren. She could not produce children, but God said, Abraham, I'm going to make out of you, the, you're going to be a, be a father. You can't be a father without kids, amen? You can't be a father without children. And so God says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of a nation. This is going to happen in your life. And it's going to be an amazing thing that I will do, and I'll give you this land. And so Abraham obeyed God. He went to the land of Canaan, and he waits and waits and waits. He waits for 25 years, and nothing happens. 25 years pass, and he's still holding on to a promise that God gave him when he was 75, but yet nothing has become reality yet. He's waiting for God to fulfill his word. Let me take you now to what Paul the Apostle says about, about Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verses 17 through 22. Listen to it. This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, that's Abraham, I've made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Anybody glad that God can make new things out of nothing? Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, this, that's how many descendants you will have. Now, the Bible says that Abraham had hope in the face of hopelessness. That when it was, there was no reason to hope, he still had hope. He hoped in the face of hopelessness. He's saying, God, I'm going to claim your word and hope in your word. My faith is in your word even when I can't see anything. Verse 19, and Abraham's faith did not weaken even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. So here he's waited for 25 years from 75 to 100 years of age, and he thinks, my body is as good as dead, and my wife ain't looking too good either. <laughs> we got a problem here, okay? However, God said something. However, God said I was going to be the father of a nation, so I'm not worried about how I look. I'm not worried about he, how she looks. I'm not, looking about, I'm not worried about our ability because I know God's ability, amen? Amen. I know God's ability. And so the Bible says that instead of his faith weakening, his faith strengthened. Can I ask you a question today? If you feel like you got a promise from God and you've waited for 25 years, at the end of 25 years, will your faith be stronger or your faith be weaker? Abraham's faith was stronger after those 25 years. Incredible story. Let's read the rest of it as Paul describes it here. Verse 20. Abraham never, never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought what? Glory. glory to God. Let me stop there for a moment. We're talking about worship. What was to bring glory to God is your worship. And so it was Abraham's faith that was engaging in his worship. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And of course, we know the end of that story. He eventually has his son Isaac, and indeed, the whole nation of Israel is birthed out of that seed that God gave him based upon the promise that he held on to for those years, and he believed that God indeed could do what was, the, what was impossible for man to do. That's what faith will do for you. What does it mean to walk by faith? God wants you to have a, a faith walk in your life because you have to walk by faith if you're going to be a worshiper. How many of you want to be a worshiper? 
You want to be a worshiper? You got to learn to walk by faith. So what is this faith thing? I'm going to give you six things very quickly that faith are, that's, that are foundational to having a solid walk of faith. Number one, you've got to believe, solidly believe in the existence of God revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. You've got to believe down to the very core of your being that God exists and that God has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is who he says he is, the Messiah, the Son of God, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave. And I, to the very core of my being, nothing can convince me. Otherwise, I know that Jesus is the Son of God and the revelation of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Down to the core of my being, I am totally convinced. I've never seen Jesus, but I know who he is. I haven't seen him with my eyes, but by faith I have seen him. By faith I've laid claim to the reality that I believe there's a God who exists, and I believe that there's his son, Jesus Christ, who is the real and living Savior and Redeemer of mankind, and I'm willing to give my life for that belief. Amen? Down to the core of my being, I believe that that's who God is and who his son is. The second thing I have to be convinced of is the integrity of God. I know that God is a God of integrity. God never lies and God will never deceive you. He is, he is a God of power that I have the belief that the power of God can do everything that God says that he can do. I have the commitment to believe that the commands and principles of God are true. That when I read the Bible and he says, this is right and this is wrong, it's for the purpose of helping me to live my life the way he wants me to live. I believe in the promises of God that whatever God promises to do, God will do. And I believe in the prevailing nature of Almighty God. That means this, that God in his righteousness and God in his justice, God in his mercy and God in his grace is going to win in the end. He will have the final word. We look at our world and we say, my goodness, our world is filled with injustice and difficulty and all kind of terrible things and what's going to happen to the world around us. Let me tell you what's going to happen. God is going to have the final word. There'll be a day when all injustices will be made right. All unrighteousness will be judged. All mercy that needs to be extended will be extended. All grace that needs to be extended will be extended. And in the end, God will win. Everything will wrap up in accordance with the purpose and plans of a good and gracious and powerful and almighty God. It's going to be wrapped up in the end and he wins, okay? You gotta believe that down to the core of your being that you're confident of these realities. This is walking by faith. Now, how do you know that somebody's walking by faith? You know that they're walking by faith because a walk of faith, what you believe changes your behavior. I'll say that again. Did you hear that? How do you know what somebody believes? You look at their behavior, their behavior will tell you what they really believe. James 2 verse 26, a body that doesn't breathe is dead. In the same way, faith that does nothing is. So faith does something in your life. It changes your behavior. What kind of behavior changes? Ephesians 5 verse 8, once your life was full of sin's darkness, but now you have the very light of our Lord shining through you because of your union with him. Your mission is to live as children flooded with his revelation and light. Verses 15 and 16, so be very careful how you live, not being like those with no understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom for we are living in evil times. Take advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. So there's this calling to live our lives in a way that honors and pleases God. The third thing that we learn about real worship is that real worship is a walk of patience and a walk of endurance. 
One of the amazing things about the wise men is their patience, their endurance. Let's walk with them on their journey for a moment. They're living in the, in the, in the Near East. They're living in perhaps in Persia, probably several hundred, if not a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. We don't know exactly where the wise men uh, lived at. There are a lot of different theories about where they came from, but more than likely they were from Persia, modern-day Iran or Iraq, somewhere in that territory. And they've got to make this journey to Jerusalem and then ultimately to Bethlehem. They see this star, and when they initially see the star, we're not quite sure exactly. The Bible is a little bit unclear in terms of exactly how the star operated for the wise men, but I think there's the basic idea that the star led them to Jerusalem. We don't know that for sure, but let's just assume that the star led them to Jerusalem. They're on their journey going to Jerusalem, but they've got to make this long journey and this process, And, and it's not an easy journey. So we're not talking about hopping on the bus or the plane and and just taking a quick jump over to Jerusalem. It's not that way. You've got to walk by foot. You've got to walk by camel. It's a long, long journey. You've got to carry all your supplies with you. And in the process of the journey, you grow weary. Okay. Anybody ever been on a long trip before? Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. You get on a long trip. At some point in time, you say, why did we do this? You ever had something? You got this long road trip, and you get about halfway there. It's like, are we crazy? Okay. Why did we do this? Okay. Well, they're on this journey, and I'm sure along the way, they felt the weariness that anyone would feel on a journey of this nature, especially because by and large, they're walking by foot or on camelback, so it's not a very convenient kind of trip. But something about them, something in them caused them to keep going. They just didn't quit. And they said, we're going to keep going until we find it. We're not going to give up until we're bowing at the feet of this king. We're not going to give up until we worship. We're not going to give up until we get there. Nothing will deter us on our journey. And their patience and their endurance carry them through. Now, they make it to Jerusalem. And from what we can understand in the story, it seems as though the star disappeared once they arrived in Jerusalem. The reason that we think that is because they started asking the question, where is he who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose in the east and we came to worship him. And so had the star still been leading them, they would not have needed to ask the question. And so they're asking the question because evidently the star is not there any longer. And so now they're having to make inquiry to find out where is he who's born king of the Jews. And of course, they ask all the chief uh, elders and priests and those that would have known the scriptures, and they find out that Bethlehem was where he was to be born. And so then the star seems to reappear as you read the story, and they make their way to Bethlehem, and the star is over the house where the child was, and so the star reappears. What I want you to see is that that whole process took a lot of time and a lot of energy, and it involved a lot of weariness along the way but they kept going. Everybody say they kept going. They didn't quit. Okay. They didn't give up. They didn't say, you know, this is too hard. I can't do this anymore. And I want to tell you that in your journey and walking with Jesus, if you're going to be a real worshiper of God, there are going to be times in your journey that you're going to be waiting for something to happen and it hasn't happened yet. There'll be moments you're going to be wondering, where is God in the midst of all this that I'm going through? There are going to be moments in your life when you're going to get weary along the way, but real worshipers don't give up. Real worshipers say, we're going to press on till we get to the other side. There's something in us that says, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I'm not going back. I've made a decision. I'm following Jesus. No turn turning back, no turning back. I'm all in in this process because I'm a worshiper of him. I'm going to be at his feet. So you got to make the choice to say, okay, what, what does it mean to worship? It's about my feet. My feet have to be a, has to be a walk of surrender to God that I'm giving up my will. It has to be a walk of faith and 
obedience before God and a walk of patience and endurance. Listen to what the scripture says about this. Luke chapter 18, verse number one. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and. What's the next word there? Never give up. Galatians 6, 9. Read this together with me. Living Bible. And let us not get tired of doing what is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Listen to Hebrews 6, 12. So don't allow your hearts to grow dull or lose your enthusiasm, but follow the example of those who fully received what God has promised because of their strong faith. And what else? Not just strong faith, but also patient endurance. These wise men kept walking. They said, we're not going to give up. And real worship involves patience and endurance and a continuing process of pursuing Jesus. The last point I'd like to share with you today is that real worship is a walk of confidence and purpose. These wise men kept walking because they were confident that God was guiding them. They were confident that what they were doing mattered. And I want to tell you today that in your life, you need to be confident that as you're walking your walk of worship, that your life matters, that your life has purpose, that you're doing something that's making a difference, even when you don't feel like you are, when it feels like your journey is just a walk day by day, but you keep doing the right thing day after day. And what's happening is that God is working his purpose through you. God is using you when you walk the walk of worship. There's a confidence that you need to have in your life and a sense of purpose that God is using you to make a difference, to advance his work in our world. Amen? And part of what God will do in your life as you're in this walk with him is he will challenge you sometimes to to move you beyond the comfort zones of life because worship always gets you outside of you to places where you're uncomfortable at times. Because with God, you need to be in a place where you're dependent upon God so you can see the power of God working in and through you. And for you to be dependent upon God means that you, you can't just be able to do things yourself. In other words, if you, if you can do anything yourself, you don't need God, amen? Amen. I wake up in the morning, I don't need God to tie my shoes for me. I know how to tie my shoes, okay? Silly illustration, but God tie my shoes. No, I know how to tie my shoes. I don't need God to tie my shoes, right? But there are things that I need God to help me with. I, I can't save a soul, amen? I can't save a single soul. I can't take one person from no relationship with God to a relationship with God. I can't take somebody from hell to heaven. I can't do that. I'm not a savior. I can't do that. I can preach the gospel. I can share the gospel, but it takes the Holy Spirit to work in somebody's heart. It takes the word of God getting down in them and the work of God to change them on the inside. I can't do that. I can do my part, but there are things that only God can do. And so what God's going to do in your life at times in this walk of worship, he's going to get you outside of your comfort zone. He's going to challenge you along the way to do some things that otherwise you couldn't do. That might be stepping up and serving somewhere that you thought, I could never do that. And God says, I want you to do that. And inside, you know you need to do it, but you're afraid to do it because you don't feel capable of doing it. God says, don't worry about what you're capable of doing. Step out because I'm going to show you my capabilities in the midst of your weakness. In the midst of your inability, I'm going to show you what I can do through you. And so real worship causes you to be confident in the God who is bigger than you are, greater than you are, can do things in and through you that you can't do. Anybody with me today? I'm preaching hard. Help me out, okay? No, I'm not asking for a pause, okay? I'm just, a, just an amen every now and then. It'll be okay, all right, okay? There's a story in the Bible of a, of a man who learned this lesson. You know the story. 
The man's name was Peter. Let me read it for you in Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, and we'll talk about what happened in Peter's life. Matthew chapter 14. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. So Jesus is walking on the water on the Sea of Galilee. He's coming to the disciples. They're in a boat. They've been going through a storm. It was a terrible moment for them. And so here comes Jesus walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, you sigh, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. I mean, now we're in a moment. Here's a moment now, okay? Peter sees Jesus walking on the water and just out of the blue says, hey, if that's you, tell me to come. He didn't realize that Jesus was going to say, come. And Jesus said, well, come on out, Peter, come. And Peter, in that moment, his comfort zone was being challenged, was it not? And we know it's a lot more comfortable in the boat than it is in the water, okay, okay. Because human beings don't walk on water. I've known a few people that have tried. They always sink, okay? I always, always do, okay? So it's a lot more comfortable in the boat. But Jesus had just given him his word, come. And so Peter has to make a decision. Do I stay in my comfort zone or do I worship? Because worship is going to be responding to Jesus' invitation, Right? And so here Peter makes the decision to step across the boat onto the water. And of course, you know the story, what happened. Peter, let's read it, continuing on here. Come, he said, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. This is a real story, okay? This is not a made-up fable. This really, really happened, okay? So Jesus says, come. Peter steps over the boat, begins to walk toward Jesus. Jesus, let me tell you something. Peter, listen closely. Peter was not walking on the water. Peter was walking on the word. Did you hear me? Peter was not walking on the water. Peter was walking on the word. Now, because he believed the word, he walked on the water. Okay. But the water was not the issue. The word was the issue. Okay. Because Jesus said, come. Okay. So it was the word, the invitation of Jesus saying, come. That caused Peter to say, okay, I'm going to walk on his word. It's going to be okay because his word is what's now the foundation for my life. What I want you to see is that when you begin to step out on the word of God, there's solidity that comes underneath you. The word will never fail you, okay? The word will never fail you, okay? The word is solid under your feet, okay? It gives you something to stand on. Of course, we know the story that when Peter got his eyes off of Jesus and began to doubt the word and look at the waves and the storm all around him, of course, he began to sink. Jesus rescued him there in the moment. What I want you to see is that sometimes in your life, Jesus, in your walk of worship, Jesus is going to stretch you. He's going to challenge you along the way. He's going to say, you know what? You're too comfortable right now. I want to... I want to challenge you. I want you to serve in that capacity. Oh, pastor, pastor, I don't know. God, I don't know if I can do that. I don't feel capable of doing that. I've seen people who have not stepped into places of serving in the church, for example, because they were afraid that they didn't have what it takes to do that, or they weren't capable enough to do it. But I've also seen others that have stepped in even when they didn't feel that they could do it and how God makes up the difference and God helps them to do it. There are times God will challenge you to give in ways you didn't think you could give. And God says, I want you to give that. I want you to be a, a generous giver 
in this way. He said, God, that's, that's kind of more than I was thinking about there. And God says, yeah, I'm getting you out of your boat. Would you take my word and trust me? There are various things that God will do in your life to challenge you to get you out of the boat. You'll never have a walk on water story unless you respond to those moments in your life. All of us want the walk on water story, but you can't walk on the water unless you get out of the boat, okay? You can't do it, okay? I'm not talking about doing stupid things, okay? I'm not talking about doing crazy things, don't doing weird things. If you do weird things, as I've said before, you go to another church. Don't go here, okay? okay? I'm not talking about doing weird things. I'm doing things that just make sense to what Jesus is asking you to do to grow you in your life, to help you break out of comfort zone. And that was, let me tell you, Peter, when he was walking on the water, was worshiping. He was worshiped to God. So what are we learning today? We're learning this. With this, we're going to conclude. Just a quick recap. What does it mean to have feet of worship? It means I'm going to walk in surrender to God. Amen? It's not my will, but your will, God. I'm going to walk in faith and confidence, obedience with God. I'm going to trust what I can't see, but I'm going to trust the promises of God. I'm going to walk in patience. I'm going to walk in endurance. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. My feet are going to keep putting down one after another. I'm going to press on in my relationship with God. And I'm going to walk with, with a sense of confidence and purpose, letting God challenge the comfort zones of my life. That is what it means to have feet of worship. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had this morning to study your word. We're grateful for the reminder that you've called us to have feet of worship. Thank you for the story of the wise men and the many, many lessons that we learned from them. And I pray you'll take this, this message today and let it find place in each of our hearts. Lord, you know exactly what each one of us needs to hear today and what needs to be applied in our lives. And we pray that you'd help us to grab hold of that, to hold on to it dearly and to bring it into reality by our obedience and our commitment to it. Seal this word, we pray, in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. 
And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.